Welcome to the Spokane Show, where I feature in-depth interviews with fascinating people while offering a fresh perspective on culture, community, and much more. I'll take you with me on deep dives into some of today's most compelling topics, and hopefully, we're going to share some laughs along the way. This is a show about life, so please join me, your host, Eric Walker, for this episode of The Spokane Show. Today, it's a great honor to be sitting down with a living legend in Spokane, none other than the founder of Bloomsday himself, Mr. Don Cardong. Don, did you ever think for a minute back in 1977 during that first Bloomsday that 45 years later, Bloomsday would be what it is today? I think all of us that were involved that, that first year, the, we were just scrambling to keep up with it. You know, um, we got kind of a late start. And um, so we we weren't thinking very much into the future, you know, where we would be even five years later, you know, it was just like, let's get this thing going. And, and then we got through that first year. And then we, the second year we, was, we had some kind of a, I don't know if you call them legal issues, but, but they were uh, organizational issues with the governing body for track and field and running in the United States. And, um, so we were in the middle of that. So the time when we might have sat back and said, gosh, where will we, where will we be 50 years from now? Um, we just never did it. <laughs> you know, we just were kind of one year at a time. And that's probably not good planning or not good organizational strategy, but it's worked out okay for us. And uh, we do now sometimes um, sort of talk about where, where do we want to be, where do we need to be. But we didn't do it very much in that first year. And if someone had told us, that we would have a year with, uh, you know, 60,000 entrants. We would have thought that that's just crazy. <laughs> but we had that. There were a lot of positive changes taking place in Spokane during the mid-1970s. For example, Riverfront Park. Did you feel any need to meet with the community stakeholders back then to get them on board uh, for this run? For instance, people like King Cole, who was instrumental in why we have Riverfront Park today. I mean, I've, I've met him. He's a nice man and, and uh, a great visionary for the city. But I didn't really do that. I, but I was aware of the excitement that there was in town for people were excited about the park. They were excited about the downtown and uh, things looked really good. And so it was, you know, prime uh, territory, I guess, to have an event like Bloomsday. And, uh, and it worked out beautifully. But... Um, I mean, I, I actually have thought back if if we hadn't had Expo 74, 74 and the downtown was the way it was prior to that, could we have done a Bloomsday run? I don't think so. I mean, we could have done something, but it wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't have been as good. So that was pivotal, I think, in having a success. That park is so intricate to Spokane events. Not only Bloomsday, but Hoopfest obviously pig out in the park. And the fact that you both were in the right place at the right time for the city, truly what makes what it means to live in Spokane just that much more special. When I moved to Spokane, I uh, was aware of the uh, tradition of distance running uh, in the region. Um, Jerry Lindgren was world famous, really, from Rogers High School. Uh, and there were other great runners from the area. And so um, I moved here in 1974, and um, and I didn't. I go out for my runs every day, and I didn't see anybody out there. Where are all the runners? You know, and uh, they were here, but they were 
you know, running with her high school or collegiate team or wherever. Um, so it felt kind of lonely, actually. But um, be that as it may, I had gone to a, a couple of what were then big runs. Uh, one of them was at, in Atlanta, the Peachtree Road Race, and another one which was in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. And they don't, don't seem like they're now that they were very big. Peachtree was 2,000. Um, Charleston Distance Run was 1,000, I think, somewhere in, those, in that range. But it was the first time I had ever been to a running event where you had what, what eventually became common, which is you had Olympic caliber athletes, but then you had a whole lot of just citizen runners, people who just wanted to get in shape and um, use this running thing to, you know, lose weight or to, uh, to get fit or, you know, help with their stress or one thing or another. And I just had never seen that. That was new. And um, so I thought, this is a great thing. And so I came, when I got back to the, here to Spokane, there were starting to be some, some small fun runs around town that the uh, Heart Association was organizing. And one of them was down at the Bowl and Pitcher. And um, I think there were probably 150 people in it. And, uh, but we had a reporter from the newspaper, and she, she asked me, she said, what do you think of all this interest in your sport of running? And, you know, it wasn't, it really wasn't a lot of all to it, <laughs> but it was kind of, it was starting to kick in. And I said, well, I think this is great, but I think we should try to have one of those uh, downtown runs like I saw in a couple of these other cities this past year. And, um, you know, we have a great running tradition in this area, and we have a new park downtown following on uh, Expo 74. And so the downtown is kind of spruced up. It would be great. So she did a little um, article in the paper, and, uh, and that kind of started the ball rolling. People came to me and said, well, well, we can help with this. And pretty soon we had an organizing group, and <laughs> we were... We were doing it, and uh, so yeah, it was kind of an offhanded comment I had made, but I, I did think that it would work pretty well here. Okay, from the inaugural of about a thousand people, how many people were in it? <clears throat> Excuse me, I think we had about twelve hundred that first year. Yeah. Did you have foreign participation back then? Uh, we didn't have the foreign participation, but we did have. Uh, we built it, uh, run with the stars, and so uh, my Olympic teammate uh, uh, Frank Shorter, uh, he was invited. And, um, and then we had some of the top local runners who were the, quote, stars. <laughs> um, and so it, it was, that was part of the formula. You know, we've got, we've got some of the fastest people on earth, and you're welcome to join them, you know, even though you're probably not going to be up there with them for very long. Um, that's just part of the fun. So I think uh, when did we start getting a lot of – probably we started getting a lot of uh, runners from outside the United States in probably in the uh, early to mid eighties. Um, and, um, and then it's just, that's continued to be a big part of what we do, but it's always been, um, you know, let's get some of the fastest people that we can to town and, uh, and then let's get everybody else come along to join them. 
So these days we see runners from all over the globe, a wheelchair division, you have various divisions all the way down to the stroller division. You come across to me as being a very modest individual because you realize it takes a team to make an event like this a success. With that said, what is your proudest accomplishment of Bloomsday? Um, well, I'm pr I think I'm proudest of the fact that it's we, we always have plenty of volunteers. I mean, sometimes we have to kind of roust them up a little bit. But, um, you know, we need about 4,000, 4 to 5,000 volunteers every year. Uh, and along with that, some of them, you know, like on our board of directors or some of our committee heads, they spend a lot of time on it. So the fact that, that they come forward to help keep the event going, uh, I'm, I'm really, I, I don't know that I can be proud of that, but I'm just amazed by it and just think it's wonderful. That's probably the thing that I like the most, the, the, the way the volunteers come together and make it all happen. It's a great event. Your baby grew up. <laughs> yes. Now, Don, I don't know if my one listener of this show is as interested as I am, but I have this burning question. How do you manage to keep that T-shirt design a secret for so long? <laughs> well, uh, when we select the uh, one that we're going to use, we have a pretty specific letter that goes to the artist saying, if you reveal this to anyone, including family beforehand, you're not going to get paid. <laughs> and then when we go to the uh, t-shirt imprinter, you know, we they sign an agreement saying that, you know, everybody that works here is is going to sign on to this. And, and the other thing is, you know, people really don't want to know ahead of time. You know, it's kind of like Christmas. I mean, when you're a little kid, sometimes you want to peek inside, but really most people, you know, they don't want to ruin the surprise. And they like the fact that uh, they, I say they get almost to the finish when they start seeing people who have already finished, who are coming back wearing the shirt. And they like that tradition. If somebody really was determined to, they could probably, um, they could probably figure it out uh, ahead of time, but they don't want to. When we first started, most races um, gave the shirts out at the finish and then started giving them out when you, when you checked in. And they did that for two reasons. Number one is we already got the volunteers there. So let's give them the shirt ahead of time and, you know, if they're signed up, they, you know, they're, they're going to make it to the finish. So let's not um, mess around with it. Let's just give them the shirt while we have the volunteers. The other reason is a lot of shirts have a lot of sponsor um, logos on them. Right. And they sponsors like seeing people in the event wearing the shirt with their logo on it. So for that reason, most events uh, around the country give them out ahead of time. And we actually had a year, and it's hard to, you know, sort of gear up to give them out at the finish line uh, or past the finish line. Um, and one year, there, people actually stood in line waiting for a T-shirt longer than it had taken them to do the course. And we said, we've got to either fix this or get rid of it. And some people said, let's just do what all the other events do. Let's just give them the shirt ahead of time. And enough people said, no, no, that's part of the fun, you know, and let's stick with it and let's figure out a way to make it work. So one of our volunteers, um, he kind of figured it out. How many, how many tables do we need? How many volunteers do we need? And he made it work. Next year it worked great. I'm sure there's some spirited debate amongst board members. There was, really. No, and I had, actually, I had a running store uh, for a few years, and uh, one of my customers was there and he was saying 
he started by saying, you know, you ought to just give the, this was after the year where people stood in line so long. And he said, why don't you just give it out ahead of time? You know, it's not a big deal. And another customer hears this and he perks up. He says, no, 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 don't do that. You know, I, I like, I like the tradition. So and then they started fist fighting. No, no, but that was sort of typical of when you got people together. There, there would be some who said, eh, and others said, ah, keep it. You know, it's great. I'm surprised that you're not an honorary member of every running club in Spokane. If you're not, I'm going to start a campaign. So what are you doing these days since you've been retired from the committee? Well, I'm still on uh, and a board emeritus is my okay. position. There's three or four of us who were with the event for many years on the board and then uh, said, well, I want to take a step back. And, and we don't have a vote, but we can come to the uh, meetings and we usually do. So uh, that's what I do relative to Bloomsday now. And, and I don't, I try not to uh, say too much, but if they're, if they're wondering something or um, if they're missing something, I, I will pipe up and say, well, I, I know what that's like, or um, I've got files that will explain that, or that kind of thing. So, um, but other than that, I, you know, they, they kind of do their thing. Uh, so that's what I do relative to Bloomsday. And then um, um, the rest of my time, um, I'm a grandparent, so I do a lot of grandparent stuff. So basically, you're still running around. <laughs> yeah. How old are they? Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> First, two first graders, um, uh, one kindergarten and one preschool. Four grandkids, and uh, they're all in town and all close by. And so when our uh, daughters need a little help with one thing or another, um, we will take care of them. It's great. I get, I've really gotten to kind of know all my grandkids, uh, you know, and that's a blessing. You know, I, I mean, most people don't get that. Traveling, anything like that? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we do, my wife and I went to Mexico a couple of times this past year. And so and we, we both like to travel. So uh, to the degree we can, we'll probably continue to do that. So here you are, just retired, 2020 rolls around, COVID pulls out the rug from underneath every normal thing and event that's going on. Were you there at, for that meeting when it was decided that Bloomsday would be virtual? I assume that I was. I don't remember specifically, but um, yeah, I mean, it was it was tough because you don't really know, do we still have the option to hold the event? Um, because early on, you know, it wasn't clear, you know, what's what the future is going to be here relative to the pandemic. Um, so I think up until early March, we were still saying, you know, we're, you know, if, if all things go well, we're still going to hold a, an in-person race. Um, and then, uh, and it was kind of like with each meeting after that, um, it's kind of like, well, it's not looking good, folks. How, what are we going to do here? And so uh, they pivoted uh, organizationally and made, made the uh, virtual uh, a virtual race for 2020. And then for 2021, we knew that we couldn't uh, have an in-person race yet. So uh, we did virtual again. And, um, you know, that actually worked out pretty well. Um, a lot better than we would have thought. Uh, we had good participation. Uh, we had people who normally couldn't come to Bloomsday for one reason or another, because maybe they lived in you know, in Europe or something. And they said, oh, I've always wanted to do this race. 
And um, so we were able to pull them in. Or people that, you know, you know, sometimes they're, they, you know, well, I just can't, that chorus is just a little too tough for me at my, at my age. So, but this is great because I can figure out how to do it virtually. So it gave an option to people. And, uh, and I, I think we, we probably figured that once we were through the pandemic, we'd be back to 100% in person. But the virtual thing proved so popular, we said, well, let's keep it as an option. And I think this year we had, I remember the numbers, uh, about 23,000 in-person and about 5,000 virtual. So that's still a fair number of people that, you know, want to do it virtually. Although I have, I will say, I've had a number of people say, well, I did it virtually this year, but I'm going to do it in person again next year. So, um, yeah. So I think a lot of those will come back. What would the older Don Cardong tell the younger Don Cardong, if he could, about this Bloomsday journey? He would be telling him to appreciate being able to run fast because I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't run at all right now. So, um, so I've walked Bloomsday for the past few years. And um, when I think about how fast I used to run, I go, boy, it'd be nice to be able to do that again. What was your best mile? I, I got to where I I ran a mile on the track. Uh, 4019 is as fast as I got. Don, it takes me four minutes to get out of bed. <laughs> I am uh, discovering after being in Spokane for 20 plus years that around April, I begin to realize that there's hope because people are running more. And it's around that six week training period. It's actually uh, like Groundhog Day for me because when I see the first jogger, it means there's only six more weeks of winter. The uh, the timing of Bloomsday that first year, some of it was was to try to tie into the excitement of you know the Lilac Festival and so on. In fact, I was I tried to schedule it for the first Sunday of Lilac Week, and I, I missed. I, I don't know how where I got the information, but it was wrong. And by the time that I figured that out, it was too late to change and and. By the way, the people said, "Oh, don't don't come, don't do it the first weekend of Lilac Week. We already have plenty of stuff going on there, so just stay a week away." You know, coming <coughs> coming out of the winter here, it just feels so good to get outside again and to try to get you know yourself moving. And so that was that's a big part of it. And in fact, some of our highest participation years were years when we had the worst winter weather, and I think people just reacted to it. I honestly feel the rich running history here in Spokane wouldn't be what it is today had it not been for people like you and your vision. So, Don, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to be part of the Spokane Show, and it was great to talk to you. You bet. Nice talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spokane Show. If you want to be on the show or if you have a show idea, I'd love to hear from you. I'll put the email address in the show notes. Also, please rate the podcast and refer a friend. And in the meanwhile, you can stay tuned for the next episode of the Spokane Show.